Welcome to the Coach and Doc podcast, hosted by Coach Chris Cutcliffe and Dr. Hunter Taylor. Our mission is to bring you insight from the best of the best in the coaching profession. If you'd like to learn more about the work we do at Coach and Doc, please visit our website, www.coachanddoc.com. Thank you so much for joining us on the Coach and Doc podcast. Our next guest is Coach Cody Toppert from the University of Memphis. This past season was Coach Topper's first with the Tigers. And prior to that, he was an assistant on the NBA level with the Phoenix Suns. And before that, he was the head coach of the G League's Rio Grande Valley Vipers. Uh, as a player, he was a player of the year for the state of New Mexico. He went on to have a decorated four-year career at Cornell. And he also played professionally for eight years. He's got a beautiful family, one of the most likable guys around. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's great to be a part of it. That last part's a little debatable. Not my family, but whether I'm likable. Well, hey, I, I just want to kick off with this. Uh, we, we, we're trying to get this where it's a, a sharp, uh, content tight podcast. So, first thing I want to just ask you is, you know, people, especially now, uh, they see you on social media. You're doing a lot of virtual stuff right now. You got some stuff out. Uh, I think sometimes people can see where you are and how celebrated you are, and think you've kind of had it easy. I remember you when you were unemployed, okay? <laughs> and you just finished your playing career and worked with you at UVA Elite Camp. And then I remember a couple months later seeing you at an open practice at SMU, and you were just a junkie, man. You always had a great feel. You got a great mind for basketball, but you're a worker. And so the first thing I wanted to do is just say, like, what do people need to know about the journey you've been on to get where you are right now? You know, it's funny, without getting without getting long-winded, my wife says I'm long-winded, but without getting long-winded, I mean, you, you think back to, you know, what was that, 2000, what was that, 2011, 2012, 2012, 2012, yeah. you and me are sitting next to each other in an open practice at SMU, you were there, I think, with your father, right, like, you know, we're hitting yep. it off, introducing each other, just kind of like getting a feel for it, just a couple of hungry guys, you know, just thirsty for knowledge, trying to get a chance, you know, you're grinding to get your foot in the door, and um, to me, uh, you know, to think that this journey has been easy, it's been anything but that. To think that it was microwave success, we popped it in for 30 seconds and it was a homemade meal. It, it, it definitely wasn't that either. Um, you know, there was a lot of time that was put into it, a lot of care, a lot of sacrifice by my wife, as you know as well, you guys, you know, in terms of family sacrifice going into this coaching thing. I mean, it's, it's massive. And, um, you know, we rolled the dice on ourselves. We took a lot of risks. We lost a lot of money, right, by taking, you know, low-paying jobs with a family and things of that nature. Um, but to get here, it's a true blessing, right? And then you look back on all those things. And to be honest with you, um, I always viewed the NBA as kind of, it's like the Wizard of Oz, right? Like you want to know what's going on behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. You know, just like when we got into that gym at SMU, like we wanted to know what, what was happening behind the scenes because mm-hmm. we're outsiders. Until you're on the inside, you're an outsider. And, you know, just that thirst for knowledge just continually led me to try and, you know, find different ways to get better. And then ultimately, uh, you know, when one door opened, uh, you know, I got my foot in there, but I always maintained uh, what I call a game seven mentality. And what I mean by that is wherever I was, whether I was an assistant coach in the G League, whether I was a head coach in the G League, whether I was an assistant coach, you know, whether I was, whether I was a head coach in, in prep school, which I was after that time that we, when we met originally in 2012, I moved out to Florida to coach high school basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, I coached my high school practices like I was preparing for game seven. I coached my high school games like they were game seven, mm-hmm. right? And I, and I told my players, if you don't prepare every day like it's game seven, then you're, number one, you're never going to get to a game seven. And number two, if you do get there, you're never going to be prepared to succeed, 
Mm-hmm. Right. So I, so I brought a game seven mentality kind of everywhere that I went. And my goal was, you know, if I'm going to coach the RGV Vipers, um, you know, I'm going to coach it the same way I would do, I would the Phoenix Suns or the Houston Rockets or the University of Memphis or whoever. And so that was like my kind of probably, if, if there's one thing, that was my biggest thing is that, you know, you got to make the big time where you're at. And that's what allows you to open up other doors. Cause I've never gotten a job from uh, anybody who I've had a prior relationship with, if you can imagine that. And that's, you know, probably a new unique aspect to my journey. No doubt. Just a little bit of context for what he and I mentioned earlier. So 2012, uh, I had just finished my first year as a high school coach. Cody had just finished his playing career over in Spain yep. and hall of famer, Larry Brown takes the SMU job and he has open practices and so I get in the car two hours away in East Texas. I get my dad to drive over with me just because he wants to see Coach Brown in action too. Small gym, and uh, he's the only other person in there with a, a spiral full of notes, uh, taking so many down. And then I remember we were, we're sitting, we're talking, and I even still remember this to this day. Like, you're always so engaging. You're always so helpful to people. I told you about kind of the context of the team I had. Uh, I don't even know if you remember this. I lost my best player, All-State point guard, and I told you about some of the frustrations. I, uh, uh, I was kind of concerned on what kind of actions I were going to have to run. Sure enough, Cody <laughs> like draws like four <laughs> different levels to an offense. He says, try this. I installed it. We really did. It didn't work. Yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> but uh, – but, uh, but no, nah, it was great <laughs> stuff, and and uh, he's got a great mind. So there's just that story with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. So, Coach, I know as a player, you played four years at Cornell for Coach Donahue prior to Cornell really taking off and dominating the Ivy League for a little while. And, um, you know, I, I remember working for my dad at Duke and being a part of the staff there. It was really laying the foundation for that program, taking off and, and having a great run of a lot of success in bowl games in recent years. So, you know, in that situation, what do players need to hear from their coaches during, you know, that kind of rebuilding, laying the foundation process? And, and what do staff members need to hear from the head coach, you know, going through that process? Well, I'll tell you, we had a uh, we had a motto. We had a team motto and it was written on our wall and it said, create the future. And I think that all of us, you know, when I signed up to be his first recruit, because he was at Coach Donnie was at UPenn. He was recruiting me there. Right. And so then when he left to Cornell, I automatically became like his number one priority to try and, you know, sway me to come with him and all this type of stuff. You know, they had five wins there before we got there, right? So we knew this was an uphill battle. It's the Ivy League, it's a high academic deal, but Coach Donnie was trying to recruit more basketball players and fewer doctors and lawyers, you know? And so um, having that motto, right, everything that we did tied back to that. We were trying to create the future. Now, was that the future that we were going to be a part of? I think that was what we all hoped. You know, we finished second in the, in, in the Ivy League my senior season. Unfortunately, there was no conference tournament. We were primed for a win there. We had, you know, swept the Peas, which is like a big deal, you know, and swept Princeton since, you know, God knows when. It was, a, it was, it was, it was some major accomplishments that we had had. Um, but, you know, obviously we, we came up short in terms of, of qualifying for the NCAA tournament. After that, you know, there was momentum built, right? Like we started to recruit more guys of a similar mindset. That doesn't mean that you sacrifice academics for athletics. That's not what that means. But I think in previous, in previous seasons, um, or, and specifically like kind of throughout the league, like at the lower levels when it was dominated by Penn and Princeton, you would, you would get guys who, you know, were um, using basketball as a tool to get into the school. Right. And they already had their whole, 
everything mapped out. I'm going to go to Cornell and I'm going to go to Harvard law and I'm going to go to, you know, NYU medical school and I'm going to become a doctor. Like they, these dudes, like I'm telling you, they had the whole field mapped out, you know, you know, and for me, I'm just like, man, listen, no, don't get me wrong. I'm thirsty for A's, but I'll take a B and get an extra thousand jumpers up. You know what I mean? That's just a different type of mentality. And so, you know, well, we, we really bought in and we had a, we had a great group of guys that came in and, and it was also a game of attrition there because seven came in with my recruiting class and there were only three of us that finished. Um, but at the end of that deal, like we had definitely uh, kind of laid that foundation that you said, and it was all about creating the future. And then the future, you know, it happened right after we left, but I'll be darned if I wasn't, you know, in a European country, you know, watching, you know, streaming the Kansas game where we almost beat Kansas at, at Allen Fieldhouse, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like on my laptop going nuts and cheering everybody on. And, you know, obviously that trip to the Sweet 16 was special, um, but, you know, it was, it was really special to be a part of that. And that was my first understanding of really being around something where we're trying to build a culture, right? You're trying to, to change a culture and you're trying to literally truly build a culture and culture is a terrible word. Like I hate that word. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I hate that word is because so many people misuse that word, right? Um, you know, culture is a day in day out thing, you know, and when you throw that word in, of course you try to win the press conference, but if you don't establish the day in and day out qualities behind it, then you're never going to have sustainability. Great job. Um, current placement. Penny Hardaway, Mike Miller, Tony Madlock. What makes the staff so great? What makes the city of Memphis so great in regards to being a basketball place? You know, I mean, number one, it's, it, it starts at the top. I mean, what an incredibly incredible blessing, like to not even know this man and then just to get a phone call out of the blue, hey, you want to come, come down and, and take a look at possibly being an assistant for me and then just to hear his vision on, on, on the, a focus, a player first mentality, a true servant mentality from the standpoint of, you know, we want to serve the players before we serve, our, serve ourselves, right? And if you think about it this way, I mean, you know, he made $300 million playing basketball. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this guy could be on a beach sipping pina coladas. So there is no need, no want, no none of that, right? So what, everything that he's doing here is, you know, out of the goodness of his heart, essentially. And so with that being said, right, he's not, he's not handcuffed by, you know, kind of that, that thirst for, you know, for, for money, for more, none of that. You know what I mean? Like, that's all. I mean, he's – He's got it all, right? So, you know, what, what, what can you get the guy that's got it all? He can't get him anything. But what can he can give you? He can give you everything. And, like, that's the big element, right? Because, um, you know, he really wants to focus on developing our players. Like, I wouldn't say come to Memphis to win a national championship. Like, that's not, that's not the lead. That's not the, that's not the recruiting, you know, tagline there. It's come to Memphis because we're going to help you chase the best version of yourself. And within that, um, more importantly is – actually devoting time out of your practice to development which I think at a lot of levels when wins become what you're gunning for right and you lose sight of the process of how you get those wins then essentially you know you 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 most often what happens first you sacrifice practice time when it comes to development right and now we gotta we gotta we gotta know what that one extra play is that that team is running right we gotta do that and and I'm not saying that scouting is an important element but my point is, is that if you implement your development in a certain way, um, it becomes organic. And now what you're doing is you're helping you guys improve from a situational standpoint and they're going to see growth. And so it's just like when you go to the free throw line, if you go to the free throw line and tell yourself, make it, I got to make this, I got to make this. Those, those are the ones we miss. But when you're process, process driven, you get to the free throw line, man, control my breath, keep it straight, elbow tucked, right? The, 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 the make is the result, right? And so... Um, I think that's the biggest thing. And to see him even through some of the adversities that we, you know, face this year, 
mm-hmm. like still stay true to that, that was huge to me because we've got a lot of stuff that we've got to clean up. There is no doubt, but he wasn't going to sacrifice developing these guys. And, um, you know, I think we stay true to our word in, in regards to that. Um, obviously, you've also got like Mike Miller, right? So think about it from a player's perspective. Here's Penny Hardaway, first team All-NBA, multiple All-Stars, right? Did it at the elite of the elite levels. Obviously, he got injured. Otherwise, he probably would be, you know, one of the greatest that's ever, you know, played the position or whatever. But, you know, you've got Mike Miller, who played 17 years in the NBA. He started out as a rookie of the year, and then his career transitioned to being an elite role player. If somebody wants to pay you to be on their team 17 years in, you've got to have some serious habits, character traits, teammate traits that they want you around. Otherwise, they're just going to say, hey, we'll go younger. You know, we'll roll the dice on somebody else. So to have that type of an opportunity to be around someone like that, you know, that can change a a mentality as well, especially when it comes to guys who are trying to expand their roles beyond what they may currently be. Right. So you've got someone you can bounce off, man, how, how do you, how do I accept this when I want more? How do I surrender and actually, you know, um, sacrifice, right. But still get what I want. Right. So, you know, having that perspective, I think is, is huge. And then Tony Matlock is literally, Uh, I mean, he's the ultimate team player when it comes to a staff. I mean, this guy has shown me the ropes. I mean, I don't know which way is up in terms of recruiting or this or that or all these types of things. And so it's like to be a cohesive unit, like you have to have someone like Tony, who's kind of like your glue guy. He pulls it all together. You know what I mean? And uh, we call him the dog, too, because he's a great disciplinarian with the guys in terms of holding guys accountable with, you know, punctuality, study halls, all this type of stuff. And, um, you know, what we have is just a really dynamic staff that kind of complements itself. And that's uh, what I love about it. Cool. So, you know, I know you also write, you do clinics, you do interviews, you do a great job of so many different things, you know, 24 hours in a day, you're a family man on top of being, you know, a basketball coach uh, and all that this, all that you have going on. Uh, how do you decide what to say yes to? Well, you know, um, used to be real easy because there wasn't a whole lot of calls. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'll say this. Um, my philosophy is pay it forward. Another clinic that I went to also in Dallas. I don't know if you went to this one, Hunter. Uh, it actually was the SMU coaches clinic. You might've been there. Del Harris mm-hmm. spoke. Yep, yep. And one of the things that resonated with me with Dell said was this isn't the CIA. It's not CIA basketball. Right. And so you know, his philosophy behind that is that sharing is not just um, is not just something nice to do. It's actually like required of you. You know what I mean? You have to serve the profession. Um, and ultimately, you know, that means paying it forward. And, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at if, if Gannon Baker hadn't helped me out. If Hunter, if we haven't built a, hadn't built a relationship. I mean, the relationships are they're like it's like this web. You know what I mean? But the deep and long lasting ones are the ones where we're adding value to each other's lives. And that's huge to me because, you know, there's only so many ways to guard a ball screen. There's only so many ways to do these, you know, so many ways to do that. But if somebody has something new or interesting or cutting edge or a tagline that can help drive a team or, you know, a late clock, you know, defensive adjustment or whatever it is. Right. And we share it with each other. I mean, while we are all competitors to a certain extent, like everybody wins, you know, and I just remember, you know, being, you know, that guy, you know, in that gym at SMU, right, during that Larry Brown practice, wanting to know, like, I have no ego in this. I just have a desire to learn. You know what I mean? And then it's the same thing, you know, like with you as a high school coach, two hours, you know, you know, to come to come and watch that, watch that practice. Like, think about it. You just want to know. And we just want to learn. 
And so for me, like the more people that I can help, I think, I think that that's my responsibility. You know what I mean? Having been on someone that got to the other side and having been somebody that definitely counted frustrations through that process where, you know, I ran into, to, to walls, you know what I mean? Like, you know, these guys weren't going to let me in. I mean, right. Like first thing I did, I interviewed George Mason with Paul Hewitt for basically to get, get coffee for him. And I didn't get that job. You know what I mean? There were a lot of doors that slammed shut. I didn't get a single college basketball interview as a, as a prep school coach. Like that's not my, that wasn't my path. And then there were times they got frustrating, man. Like, what am I not, what am I not doing? Da, 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 da. But the whole key is, man, I just continued to stay the course, focus on the process, focus on my daily growth. And then ultimately, you know, the, the stars aligned. And, and then once opportunity comes, right, if you have prepared uh, like it was game seven, then you're ready for your moment. And I think that's where, where everything kind of came together. But as terms of like deciding what to do and what not to do, you know, I'm not going to say like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not the very, I'm not like Barry Bonds, right. Who turned down my wife for an autograph back in the day. She still remembers that. Like, that's not me. You know what I mean? If I can make time, like I'm going to make time, um, you know, it, it, to me, it, and that doesn't mean like that I, I, I can, at times I have to learn how to say, you know, time to shut it off a little bit here because I got this beautiful four-year-old and now a three-year-old, you know, it was her birthday yesterday that, that I want to go play with and I want to go spend time with my family. But in the same sense, I'm very conscious of the fact that I got here uh, because some people, you know, were, were willing to share and continue to share. Of all the places, levels, uh, leagues that you've been in as a player and a coach, was there any phase that was particularly memorable uh, for you and your family? Oh goodness. Um, well, I'll say a couple things. Um, I mean, if you can imagine this, so, I'll just, so this is the scope of my career from 2000, like, so 2013, I'd be, I'm a, I'm a prep school coach and 2019. So, so I go from laundering the uniforms at my house, unlocking the gym, rolling the balls out. We didn't have air conditioning, filling up the water bottles, driving the bus all across the Strait of Florida and even end up into South Carolina, all types of different stuff, right. To standing across from Greg Popovich before a game for the national anthem, giving him the wave before the game. Like, think about that. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. to me, it's like, that's like, you, 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 you literally think about um, like that type of a moment. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's kind of like a movie, you know what I mean? Like that's Greg Popovich, like over there. And like, he, you know, he, you know, the wave, right. Like, it's just like, it blows my mind even still thinking about it. Right. Um, but again, you know, it, it, the journey's not, not over by any stretch, but you know, still it's like, there's a, there's a level of gratification, right? And that particular moment stands out for sure, um, without question. So, Coach, we've talked a little bit, you know, about uh, how much of a student of the game you are. So just out of curiosity, who are you studying this offseason and why? Yeah, so uh, I'm, so obviously I've, I've made the transition here to college. Um, there are people who will say that NBA – you know, offensive concepts and things of that nature don't work in college. There are people who say that, that, it, that they do work, right? And, I mean, you know, go tell Jim Beheim the 2-3 zone can't, can't win basketball games, you know, because um, there's many different ways to skin a cat. But, um, you know, a couple things that I'm doing is uh, I'm really diving into a lot of the new trends uh, at the NBA level, and I'm also diving into some of the teams that run, you know, more – NBA type action. So really I'm studying actually Lincoln Memorial University Division II actually here in Tennessee. Josh Schertz has one of the best offenses uh, regardless of classification. These guys have averaged over, 
you know, like 95 points a game for the last four years, been to the D2 National Championship. And the interesting thing about him is he used to run the, you know, the Bill Self three out, two in. And then he went to a couple NBA training camps. He went to a Celtics training camp. He went to the Utah Jazz training camp. And, um, you know, he said, man, I, I, I think I got it wrong, you know. And so here was a guy who had already had success, by the way, highly successful coach, who then decided to change, you know what I mean, and like go a different route. And he's seen even more greater success after that. But that is what the truly great coaches do, right? The, like the Eric Spolstra we're seeing today is a different iteration of Eric Spolstra. You go back even two, three years ago, right, where, you know, Hassan Whiteside is playing the center position, very different offense than even right now with Bam Adebayo. Bam Adebayo catching a rebound, he's pushing it up the court, right? And so in order to allow for that type of freedom, I mean, there was a lot of things that they had to change in terms of their spacing, in terms of their – you know, their off-ball cuts in terms of how they were kind of initiating their offenses. And so, you know, I'm diving in a lot to – we all know about drag screens, uh, you know, being transition ball screens. But what I'm diving a lot into is um, what I call Corver screens, which are transition off-ball screens. There's a random element to them, singles and doubles. Um, they're not deep, wide pin-downs like traditional-style basketball. I mean, a lot of these are above-the-break pin-downs at the high-wide slot. So there's a lot of really interesting things. Uh, Miami. Uh, Toronto, Boston, uh, and Milwaukee is, is a team that truly runs a positionless style. And so, um, you know, I'm kind of diving in pretty deep into those as well as looking at uh, Creighton as the other college team I'm looking at. Yeah. Last part of the interview. It's like a little rapid fire closing round. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. I just want you to say the first thing that comes to mind. Quick answers. All right. Yes. First one, best shooter you've ever trained. Chad Topper, my brother all-time leading three-point shooter out at the University of New Mexico. Shot 53% in the Spanish ACB League, which is a record. Wow. Most underrated NBA head coach? Igor Koshkov. Worked for him in, in Phoenix. The, the man is a, ta a tactical genius. Unfortunately, he didn't get a chance to, uh, to run it back over there and really build. Favorite venue to play a basketball game, and you can't say the FedEx Forum. You know, there's something about the lights at the Staples Center. Right. It's just like the lighting on the court versus like how dark it is in the background. Um, it's pretty it's pretty incredible experience for sure. Best player you've played against? Probably Carmelo Anthony at Syracuse. I did have 25 on him that game, but uh, but he was pretty good. <laughs> Favorite restaurant in Memphis? The Great Canary. My my Michelin star chefs, Andy uh, and Mike. Uh, they run a great ship. If you ever come to Memphis, Tennessee, go to the Great Canary. Unbelievable food. Perfect. Cody, thank you so much for doing this. No, yeah, my pleasure, guys. I had a blast. Thank you, guys. It's been a lot I mean, of fun. Appreciate you guys having me on. Appreciate you. Go enjoy your family. Thank you so much for listening to the Coach and Doc podcast. Uh, we know there are a lot of podcasts out there, so we're grateful that you chose ours. If you'd like to learn more about the work that we do, please visit our website. It is at coachandoc.com. Thanks again.